let's just see if he can get the gas prices to drop because that's the saddest thing that the freaking price of gas is going to determine an election and like (sighs) jimmy carter knows a thing or two about that oh yeah Uh, Hi, I'm Kirsten Seltzer. I am a graduating MPA student this May. I also completed my undergrad at Binghamton where I got my bachelor's in political science with a minor in history. And I've been interested in politics since I was a kid. I actually have family that lives in DC and we would go down and visit them two to three times a year. And I just became obsessed with the history of it all. And when I came to college, I thought I would be a history major. And then I realized I'm not interested in history. I'm interested in government history. So that kind of put me on this track through politics. And I became more interested as I grew up, especially towards the end of the Obama administration, seeing what was going on and liking the decisions that were being made. And then the harsh contrast after the 2016 election. And that's where I really became decisive in my career choice to go into this. And I'm Brian Goodman. I'm also in the Master's of Public Administration program. I'm in my first semester as an official graduate student. And once I took like an introductory course to American government in my first semester of community college, that's when I started to definitely pay attention more. Uh, At the same time I was taking that class, Brett Kavanaugh had his controversial nomination to the Supreme Court. So that's kind of where I got drawn into things and I have unfortunately been dragged in too deep to the point where it consumes a lot of what I do um, and a lot of the conversations I have and it's just a lot of people don't realize how important politics is and not necessarily all the little nuances and stuff like that but just all of the impacts that these decisions have on people a lot of the times they don't necessarily they're like oh what's one thing that's not going to impact me but the chances are that it impacts a lot more people than you think it does and that's why I've kind of gone down the path that I have and I'm just genuinely committed to making people's lives better through whatever means are possible. Brian's going to start because I am a local girl and a national girl and I do not (laughs) know enough about state government. That is one of my biggest regrets. I honestly, I don't know the most. I just know a lot about like elections and stuff like that. So I don't know. Also, my cousin's running for a spot in the uh, state democratic committee, which is pretty interesting. Really? That's so cool. Yeah. Midterm elections occur halfway through a president's term of office, obviously, um, four years. And during these elections, the entire House of Representatives is up for re-election, all 435 members. And usually about one-third of the Senate is up for re-election. And there's various local elections that occur at this time, governor's races, special elections, some states, if they have judicial elections, those are up as well. And they tend to react similarly to the national political climate. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good summary. Um, 
these elections typically will have kind of like the second most turnout. If you think about elections in general, obviously most people are showing up to the presidential elections and then a lot of people will care about the midterm elections because they're voting for the House of Representatives or the Senate. So they're still thinking on that federal level. And then the lowest turnout are those off-year elections that are in between where oftentimes county legislature legislators are up for a re-election or other types of local positions. So I would say that people tend to know about midterm elections, but it's still not getting to every voter in the country. Yeah, I've seen some patterns. I don't know how it's been studied or anything, but there's definitely more of an uh, incentive for voters of the president's opposing party to turn out and hold them accountable. So it can be difficult for incumbent presidents and their parties to motivate their voters to go out and vote and retain their majorities in Congress, whether it be the House or the Senate. Yeah, and I feel like definitely liberals and those in the Democratic Party have been already starting to kind of mobilize their voters and think about this even now in March and going into the primaries in June because you know last year in the 2021 elections even though they were the off-year elections there was kind of this like nationwide red wave seen in these like small local races like especially downstate like every position flipped red, it flipped to the Republican side. And so I think now like there's been a lot more talk about what's going on, especially with the president's approval ratings being a little bit low right now and people not necessarily wanting to see change across the government. So it's been interesting. Yeah, there definitely was some waves like you were talking about. Um, most noticeably for me, at least kind of on a more broad national level was the Virginia governor's race. Uh, Biden won that by, I think, at least 10 percentage points in 2020. And then in 2021, in the governor's race, they ended up losing the Democrat did. Um, and it was kind of more of a culture war focused race than anything, obviously, with uh, critical race theory being, for some reason, the biggest issue that a lot of voters had. And that was something that the Republican candidate really ran on and that it kind of dragged the Democrat candidate into that and took away his focus on campaigning on other issues that would materially improve lives like economic and different things like that. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting race to watch. I remember just being so confused by what was happening and like you know even like in 2021 like expecting that some of these like elections were going to change and it was going to be a tight race but seeing some of the results like as someone who's a democrat i was relatively surprised so you know now watching like what's happening with the political climate in the country and like you know things are so polarized and just watching both sides like fighting for every single one of these seats like even at the local level at this point i feel like people are starting to care more of what because they're so frustrated with the national that these local elections have become more and more important so it'll be interesting to watch that in this year's midterm yeah definitely and i think one of the more interesting things at least with local elections like you were talking about how people are being more focused to those now more than ever i've seen more people focusing on school board elections, which is quite interesting. I actually ran for my local school board last year. Didn't win, unfortunately. Um, I think it was hard though, since obviously I'm a college student and being three hours away from that school in the district would be hard to do. What? <laughs> you ran for school board? What? You're so freaking cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it was the, it was an interesting experience. 
I, I want to hear about that. We should, we should have a whole section <laughs> on Brian's school board run. <laughs> a lot of other things I saw from some of the parents, again, it was surrounding critical race theory, the uh, CRSE framework that New York State's trying to implement um, in their schools and things like that. So I definitely think the local climate is definitely getting ramped up more. And even like secretary of state races, clerk races, anyone who like oversees election processes since 2020 have really seen an increase in, I guess, awareness for lack of a better term. And focus is being put on that by both parties now uh, in the name of either voter security or preventing voter fraud. I feel like you really highlighted two big issues there with like the school board elections and critical race theory being so controversial right now in this country. Um, my, where I went to high school, my hometown on Long Island, Smithtown, made national headlines with their school board elections last year and big protests surrounding critical race theory and various guest speakers that the school had had in the past had been called into question. And so I've definitely seen that debate and I know that's happening across the country. And then the on the other side with like talking about like voters rights and increasing access to elections, that's been a major, major issue. And it's interesting to see how voters in different states have, and on either side of the line, have such varying opinions on that. Um, definitely seen some things down south that confuse me personally about, you know, how people are thinking about access to elections and, you know, who has the right to vote and those types of things. So I was reading this NPR report that was published in December of 2020, immediately following the election, that talked about how about one third of eligible voters didn't vote in 2020, which was translated to roughly 80 million people. Um, and of the reasons that they gave for not voting, uh, it included 30% of them not being registered to vote, 23% not being interested in politics, 20% not liking the candidates, 16% uh, that had a feeling that their vote wouldn't have made a difference, and then another 10% uh, being undecided on who to vote for. And going off of that, midterm elections see even lower turnout rates. In 2018, midterm turnout was high, the highest that has been in four decades, with 53% of citizens above the voting age showing up to vote, according to a U.S. Census report, so that's promising. However, local elections can see turnout percentages in the teens, as they often occur in off years. not providing the best and most accessible information to voters can kind of stand in the way of them turning out. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of the reason why we're having this conversation because like a science major, I have my degree in that, um, and now it, in the Masters of Public Administration program, like I definitely have more knowledge than the average person about elections and voting, and I've worked on three local campaigns. So, you know, I, I know my way around an election, but like even doing some research for this conversation, like it is difficult to find these this type of information. So down downstate where I live, um, back at home, I the county legislature elections are held in the off year. So they're held 2019-2021. And so I it took me, I had to go to the Broome County Charter and read through to find out if they had off-year elections for their county legislature or if they were held at the same time as the midterm and the presidentials. And so how is the average voter to know? hey, I have to go look at my county legislature charter to find out 
what I'm going to be voting for this year. I mean, when it gets closer to the election, you'll be able to look at the sample ballot and do some more research. But like, even on like, so, like so many of these issues that pop up on the ballot and these candidates at the local level, like it's impossible to know what their platforms are, like what they represent. They may give an interview in a local paper. Some candidates deny those interviews and don't want to promote like what they're running for. And it can be quite confusing to navigate that and figure it out. Even as someone who tends to know what they're looking for, I still struggle with it at times. I can definitely relate to that struggling, trying to figure out like what certain candidates are running on or running against certain things like that. Um, specifically, at least my town back home uh, are two town board candidates and a town supervisor candidate in 2021 in the off year cycle, which their messaging, they kind of ran like a unified ticket, but then struggled with messaging. And it just wasn't the best. And they weren't able to get like their name out there, name recognition, things like that, that are important in these local types of elections, especially when they have voter, like total registered voter number advantages. And I just think that goes to show how difficult it can be to really win at the local level too. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's hard because a lot of these local politicians are being illustrated as politicians like it's become so partisan at the local level and like local politicians don't need to worry about abortion they don't need to worry about these big national issues but people are coming up to the local legislator and being like what's your stance on these major state education policies when they have no control over that that's not at their level and i think that it's hard because it's difficult to understand what falls into what jurisdiction like I think it's gotten government is so split up that it's become increasingly complex for the average person to understand like what every single individual in power is doing with their position so like when it comes time for them to form a platform and kind of advertise that to the public and market themselves like people are asking them all these I don't want to call them irrelevant questions but they don't necessarily matter to the job description that that person is running for that office so I think it's hard for these local candidates to kind of gain traction when there's just so many questions around issues that don't really matter for what they're going to be doing in office. Okay, so we're going to begin a discussion about the census, but we obviously want to start by asking if you know what the census is. Okay, so basically the census was written in the US Constitution, and it's taken every 10 years to get information about the demographics and the population across the country. And then every 10 years, they take this information that they've gathered, and they redraw the congressional districts across the country. So the states are divided up into 435 congressional districts, and basically every 10 years, these districts are redrawn by the state legislatures. So depending on who's in power in state legislature that year, whether it's the Republican Party or the Democrat Party for each state, they're going to form a committee that's going to basically be in charge of redrawing these lines. And these committees are quote unquote nonpartisan, but depending on which party is in power in which state, they're going to pick people who are going to draw those lines in favor of their party. So ultimately, every 10 years, there's kind of shifts in balance of power in the state. After the 2020 
census, um, the states began to form these committees to redraw their lines. And so in February, the New York State pu uh, published and put out the maps that they had drawn up and they were approved by the legislature and signed into law by the governor. And so now going into the 2022 midterm election, um, these maps are going to be put into place. So the districts have changed around a lot. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way um, New York approached this, at least. Um, it definitely seems like they took more of a partisan approach. Um, if I remember correctly, the state does have an independent commission, a lot like other states around the country. In some cases, when they do reject it, it ultimately falls to them to come up with a final map, which I believe is what happened in New York, or at least they went with more favorable maps for the Democratic Party since they have a trifecta in the state government. And this ultimately resulted in the shrinking of the total number of Republican seats in New York State for their congressional delegation. Uh, Long Island, for example, used to have two Republican seats, and now it's being transformed into, I believe, only one dominant Republican seat, and then it's broken up throughout the island. And I believe even one of the seats there goes from parts of the north coast of Long Island all the way up through the Bronx and even into Westchester County. So it definitely shows how partisan politics at the state level impacts national politics. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to see that interaction between like the state and the national politics with this census redistricting, because of course, like we watch how different levels of government interact all the time. Like for example, education, how the federal government gives out budgets for that. And then the state ultimately has a lot of power over the curriculum. And then it goes down even further to the school boards and they make even more decisions with the money and that type of thing. But I think the census is a unique case where like the state and the federal government are kind of having that interaction. And depending on what happens at the state level, that's gonna impact the federal congressional elections for the next 10 years. And so it's interesting to watch how that changed in New York and especially how the districts are shifting. Like I know you mentioned district, th that's district three down on Long Island where it now goes from Long Island, the Bronx and all the way into Westchester is a question for some people is why these districts are drawn so strangely because what does somebody who lives as far as Suffolk County, Long Island in district three have in common with somebody who lives in the Bronx in common with somebody who lives up in, you know, on the coast in Westchester it's interesting to see like how they're drawn, but as you learn more about it and you think about like the politics that are going on at the state level when these commissions are drawing the maps, you can kind of begin to understand more why they get drawn so strangely. Another point to make is how after they take the census and they draw these maps, the population has to be the same in every single one of these districts in the state. So I think that obviously gives more of an explanation as to why these maps are drawn in very interesting shapes to kind of, you know, give one party the advantage over the other because they have to keep those populations the same. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, new New York map now and uh, the 24th district, which is represented by Chris Jacobs, has just been uh, adjusted to a plus 25 percentage point district. And it goes from just north of Buffalo all the way up. It cuts like underneath Syracuse and Rochester, and then goes back up towards uh, the Northern New York border. So that's just another example of how districts can be manipulated. Uh, or some may call it packing, cracking. There's different types of gerrymandering, obviously, that you can engage in. Um, 
and it isn't just New York where this happens. There's uh, some in Texas. There's some very infamous ones, uh, and I'm sure Ohio has a couple, I believe. So there's def it's definitely not just a New York specific issue. It's every state trying to find the best way to maximize their political power without having to litigate in court and potentially lose and then have to draw up maps that would lessen their political power. That was good. I don't know if I want to say anything else on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there was one other part I wanted to talk about just briefly. It's, so some states where they redistrict, uh, the process occurs obviously through the legislature and needs the governor's approval. But in some states with heavily dominated state legislatures by one party, but the governor being of a different party can sometimes pose an issue with trying to get maps uh, approved. Uh, most recently, I think maybe even yesterday at the time of this recording, uh, the Louisiana governor, who's a Democrat, vetoed the legislature's maps um, for the reason that they only had one, I think, Black majority district in a state that has 33% African-American population. So he essentially said no to the map that they initially proposed, and now they have to go back and try to redraw them again and gain support, obviously, from the governor for him to sign off on it. On the other hand, in, I believe this happened in North Carolina. They, obviously, same situation, Republican-dominated legislature with a Democratic governor, but the majorities in the legislature were high enough to override a governor's veto. So even when the governor, Roy Cooper in North Carolina, vetoed the maps, it went back to the legislature, obviously, and then they overrode that veto. And I believe now it's waiting litigation in, I think, the North Carolina Supreme Court or whatever their highest level of courts are there. It's interesting to think about those issues because, like, as they're struggling to create and pass these new maps with the new districts, they could just be propagating more issues like this in the future, because as the lines are drawn, you know, maybe those Republican majorities in North Carolina are going to hold, but the state as a whole is going to continue to elect Democratic governors. So in situations like that, you know, like depending on how the districts are redrawn every 10 years, like it could just perpetuate like a very long situation of conflict between the legislature and the governor or at various levels of government this happens and you know when these districts are drawn or even some county legislatures will redraw their districts every 10 years with the census which is really important for local districts to be redrawn to otherwise you can end up with incumbents that are in office for 20 30 plus years and you know that's when government can kind of stall and change isn't always made yeah i definitely think that's where like participating and voting in local elections, whether it be town, county, city, or state elections, that ultimately is what it comes down to. And not only just electing, whether it be a mayor, a county executive, town supervisor, town board members, county legislators, things like that, but even with uh, certain uh, ballot proposals, referendums, different things like that, counties can offer their own. I know my home county, Westchester County, had a county-specific uh, prop or referendum, however you want to call it, that had to do with ethics reform for the county. And I believe that passed overwhelmingly um, in 2021, while New York State had 
five different propositions on their ballot in 2021. Uh, a couple of them had to do with voting and then another had to do with environmental rights, clean air, clean water, things like that. And three of the ones related to voting, uh, amendments one, three, and four all failed. Uh, amendment one had to do with apportionment and redistricting. Amendment three had to do with eliminating the 10-day advance for voter registration requirements, which if it did get passed and approved, then you'd be able to register to vote the same day as you're going to vote. And then the fourth amendment that was proposed and failed was one that allowed for any reason mail-in voting. So essentially universal mail-in voting. And definitely just to break down what we're talking about a little bit more for those of you who haven't really looked at the back of the ballot before, or didn't really know what these issues are in the past. Basically what we're discussing is they're called ballot measures or propositions. And these are different proposals that in New York state and a lot of other states, they appear on the back of your ballot. So basically in New York, they'll have statewide proposals and these could ask questions about amendments to the New York state constitution. And these are required to be approved by all the state voters before they are officially passed into law for the state. There could also be local propositions on the back, like back in 2021, the town of Estill put up a proposition on their ballot, which was asking about abolishing a local law that um, basically had created the office of the receiver of taxes. So things like that, that are at your town level could show up there. And then something that New York State does not currently have, but 26 other states in DC have, it's called um, the ballot initiative um, and veto referendum processes. And basically in those states, they have, citizens can basically take an initiative to propose a new statute or a constitutional amendment, or they can call into question um, some that have already been passed and basically have that put on the ballot and put up for a vote. And this has been something that's been debated in New York State in the past. If you really wanna check into your state history, I'm sure you could read about how this has gone back and forth about whether or not it should occur, but half the country has it. And so in those states, basically there'll be a petition and signature requirements to get those types of issues on the back of the ballot. So I think that for voters like going into the 2022 election, you know, within the weeks leading up to the election, it's important to research or at least look up your county's ballot um, where you're going to be voting and see what's on the back of your district. Um, that way you can have informed decisions about these local issues because it's kind of almost like you're directly voting. I mean, it is, you're directly voting on a law and that's not something that citizens get to do often. I mean, typically, you know, in the United States we're voting for our representatives and they're gonna make decisions. But in these cases, you directly vote on whether or not that law is gonna pass for your town or your county or your state. So it's definitely something powerful and interesting. Yeah, I definitely think the aspects of uh, direct democracy at, in some sense, obviously, like you said, it's not, happening at the national level though I think that is worth something that is something worth exploring whether or not there should be things like that I know in the past there have been attempted constitutional amendments at having national referendums upon whether or not we should go into war or not which I don't necessarily feel strongly about I don't think that's the best decision in that aspect at least but for other policy things it's definitely worth exploring um, and other examples for more direct democracy uh, initiatives and things like that, uh, getting back to more local levels, school board elections, not only do you vote for your trustees on the board, but most of the time you also vote to approve the proposed budget or not, which is obviously another example of deciding 
where the money is going, how much it is, and whether or not that should be the way it's done. So a common question that I hear uh, from my friends, at least back home, uh, whenever it's election season or we're talking about elections and stuff like that is, why, why do I even bother voting? One vote doesn't make a difference. What do you think about that? Yeah, this is something that I've also noticed in my friend groups. My brother recently turned 18 and I still can't get him to register to vote. So if anybody has some advice on that, you would think it would be me. So I, I'll try to give my best opinion here about what to do um, in these types of situations, whether you yourself think you shouldn't vote or you're trying to convince your friends that they should vote. So it's hard in today's political climate to think about this because nationally, when you're voting for the president, it's easy to think that your one vote is going to be lost in the sea of other votes. And, you know, oftentimes these large elections are fairly predictable, so to speak. Um, they calculate the percentages and they know what's going to happen in every district. So you think, whatever, if I'm one person and I don't show up, it's not going to matter. But if you think about it more on a local level, moving as you move further and further down into state elections and cities and towns and villages, villages especially, the smaller you get, the more your vote is going to count. So because politics has become so partisan and it's so frustrating to watch what happens at the national level, you can have a say in these smaller elections when it comes to what's happening in your community with, you know, public works, transportation, emergency services, public health, economic planning, social services. So many of those things are determined at the community level. And so to say that my vote doesn't matter when your local election will in all likelihood come down to several hundred, several dozen, even single votes is just crazy to think that you shouldn't get out there and have your voice heard. So now that we've been talking about elections this year for a little bit, um, I'm sure our listeners are wondering what's going to be on the ballot for the midterm. Yeah, so for New York State, there's a bunch of statewide um, elected officials and ballot measures that are going to be seen on the ballot this coming November. Uh, I'll start with the governor's race, at least. Um, the incumbent currently is Kathy Hochul, who's running for re-election. For those who don't know, um, I think we should pause and explain what an incumbent is. Yeah, so an incumbent is, in terms of elected officials and in the field of politics, it's someone who is currently holding the office and is running for re-election or may not be running for re-election. It's generally just used as the term of someone who's holding the office at whatever particular time you're talking about. So currently in New York State, Kathy Hochul is the incumbent governor. And so along with that, there's obviously for both parties, for governor's race, there's going to be primaries. So the Democrat and Republican primaries in New York State are closed primaries, which means that only registered voters for that party can participate in selecting their candidate for the general election that follows in November. These primary elections occur in June, and the cutoff date for party registration or affiliation already passed. So by the time you're listening to this, if you're not affiliated with the party you wanna be, it's too late to participate in this year's primary, but you can still participate in the general election. 
And then you can also change your party affiliation. This way you can take part in the primaries in the future. Uh, for Lieutenant Governor, they, ha I haven't seen that many candidates out there yet. So I think it might still be a little too early, um, but I think it also kind of, depending on who Kathy Hochul picks as her next Lieutenant Governor, that would likely be the leading candidate for the Democratic Party, at least. Uh, Republicans, I'm not too sure, but their strategy is with that. They see out whatever happens with the primaries and then go from there. I'm not 100% sure how they plan on doing that. And then there's two other statewide races that include the Attorney General for the state of New York, which is the top law enforcement officer in the state, which is also very similar to that of the Attorney General of the United States. However, the main difference is the Attorney General of the US is nominated by the president, who is then confirmed by the US Senate. And in New York, you are elected through a partisan style election. Lastly, the fourth statewide elected official for New York State that you'll see on the ballot this year is the comptroller, which basically the head financial officer of the state of New York. And the incumbent we have right now is Tom DiNapoli. He's been there since about 2007. I believe, Kirsten, you had some interaction with him not too long ago, right? Yeah, I've actually had the chance to meet him a couple of times um, through political internships I've had on Long Island. And it's fun when he comes to talk to a group of high school kids because he'll walk in the room and he's very friendly and he'll ask, does anybody know what a comptroller is? And last time I saw him speak, it was to a group about 150 high school college students. And I think three people in the room knew what a comptroller was. So I think that it's one of those things that maybe not everybody in the state knows what's going on there. I think they just tend to write it off as, oh, that's the financials. He'll deal with that. So thanks, Tom, for all your years of service. And then I just wanted to circle back to the um, attorney general. I just realized I didn't mention who the incumbent was. Um, that's currently Letitia James. She threw her hat in the ring initially for the governor's race this year in the Democratic primary. And then uh, kind of just backed out of that and decided that she wanted to just stick with the attorney general's office and continue the work that she was doing there. Another thing that you're going to see is a statewide ballot measure that has to do with uh, the environment and climate projects. This type of statewide ballot measure is one for bonds uh, in issuing money that the government can then use. In this case, they're hoping to use it for anything climate related, more specifically like any damages or preventative measures that can be done, uh, funds for projects related to the environment, natural resources, water infrastructure, and climate mitigation. So that's just some of the statewide elections that you're going to see. And then there are a couple more localized state level elections that you're going to see on your ballot that include the state assembly and the state senate. And these are kind of confined to the areas in where you live and the district that you're in. So for the state assembly, there's 150 members, which means there's 150 districts throughout New York State, broken down by population. So depending on where you're registered to vote, that's going to be the district that you're voting in. And the state assembly in New York is kind of similar to that of the U.S. House of Representatives. And then uh, state senate has fewer members uh, coming in at 63 which 
it's an interesting number. If anyone knows the history of that, you'll know why it's changed to that, but that's a story for another day. Um, and the state Senate, again, like I said, there's 63 members, so the districts are bigger than those for the state assembly. And the state Senate is the upper chamber of the legislature in New York State. So then in addition to those state races, there's also going to be two federal races that you'll have the chance to vote for on the ballot. So that is your United States Senator, which is currently Chuck Schumer. So every two years, about a third of the U.S. Senate comes up for re-election again. So this year, one of New York State senators is up. And in addition to that, you'll have your U.S. House seat, which um, will be interesting since now coming off of a census year, uh, those districts have been redrawn. And at the time of recording, they're currently being contested in the state. So check back in to see what district you're going to be put into because they have been changed since 2020. Thank you for tuning in to Do Good Well, a podcast from Binghamton University's Masters of Public Administration program a podcast dedicated to public service and the folks at the forefront of doing good in our communities. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, or if you're interested in getting your MPA, check out the links in our show notes.